Welcome to Gold Diggers, a podcast on strategy, goals, and growth. We'll cover all sorts of topics on OKRs, KPIs, strategy, and everything in between. Gold Diggers is brought to you by Purdue, a powerful gold management platform that helps organizations bridge the strategy execution gap. Use Purdue to increase transparency, alignment, and accountability, and simply head over to purdue.com to sign up for your very own free account. That is P-E-R-D-O-O.com. Welcome to another episode of Gold Diggers, the podcast on OKRs, KPIs, strategy, and growth. I'm Henrik, founder and CEO of Purdue. Joining me today is someone who you probably already know, Peter Kappes. Peter has been a guest on our podcast before. Peter, welcome back. It's great to have you on our show again. For those that haven't had the pleasure of getting to know you yet, please can you give us a quick intro on what you do and who you are? Thanks a lot, Henrik. It's great to be back. Uh, yes, my name is Peter Kappas. I do a lot of different things. Uh, I've worn a lot of hats in my career, but um, these days I tend to call myself more of an organizational coach. I use a lot of OKRs, uh, lean and agile methods, inclusive facilitation techniques, and other kinds of um, uh, models and techniques to help teams get really clear on what they're doing and why, and then get better at doing it, uh, ideally all while enjoying the process. So thanks for having me back. Perfect. Yeah, it's great to have you again, as I said. Uh, in previous episodes, Peter, we spoke about cascading OKRs and individual OKRs. Uh, today, we wanted to talk about something completely different. Hmm. As we both agree, OKRs is not an off-the-shelf solution. Uh, and I see OKR personally as a collection of goal management best practices that we've accumulated over the past 70 years. Um, and organizations, they need to tailor these practices. They need to tailor the OKR framework, essentially, to the specific needs of their organization. Unfortunately, I do see that many organizations interpret OKRs very strictly, and then they risk to decide that it doesn't work for them. Is this something that you've experienced with your clients? What do you, and if you do, like, what do you think is the main reason behind this? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, definitely. Um, I think a lot of orgs, uh, come to OKRs through, you know, someone will, will go to a conference or read a book or sit next to somebody on a plane or, you know, uh, a lot of times a senior leader is, is the first person to find OKRs. And then uh, she or he might say, hey, let's let's roll this out everywhere. This is the sort of silver bullet or panacea we've been looking for. Um, I think Agile as a, as a concept went through a lot of the same sort of growing pains. And I think um, a lot of people are coming to OKRs from traditional project management. And project management, traditional project management is quite rigid. It's quite top down. It's quite um, uh, command and control. And I think that it can be difficult for folks to kind of recognize that OKRs are much more of a, it's almost more like a facilitation framework. It's a facilitation uh, method or a framework for having difficult conversations about things and developing the kind of level of transparency that you need to really um, make a um, uh, sort of a, a firm commitment to the truth, if you like, to really seeing reality as, as it is. And as such, it's more important that folks, I think, figure out how to use OKRs to really get a, a firm grasp on reality rather than just kind of blindly uh, following the, the, the techniques in the same way that people talk about zombie agile sometimes. Um, what you run into a lot is, is things like rigid top-down cascading, which we've talked about before, which, which really doesn't work. Uh, I'm, I'm much more in favor of a kind of market-based approach. And I think when that happens, you know, you get this kind of, um, uh, it's, it's a bit brittle, you, it's disempowering, all the linkages are quite one-dimensional. And so as well as moving away from uh, the kind of top-down cascading of OKRs, I think just the general spirit of it is something that organizations do need to figure out how they're going to contextualize it for their own organization. And every organization I've worked with does adopt it slightly differently. I think that the trick and where 
you need a few quarters of experience in your organization is to figure out what are the rules that we cannot violate that um, absolutely yeah. must be maintained and what are the things that are really kind of more guidelines that we need to interpret and, and adapt for our own purposes. So uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's very good to, um, to take a more uh, flexible but also, um, you know, engaging not just with with OKRs, but with the process itself, you know, and how how um, how we want that to run. Exactly, exactly. Um, and yeah, so today we want to be talking about some of those cases in which it's okay uh, to bend the rules and deviate from uh, from certain best practices. So prior to the podcast, you and I sat together and we've identified a few situations and a few rules uh, that we believe are worth uh, discussing today. The first one, and the one that we believe is the most common issue in working with OKRs, is getting the hang of thinking in outcomes versus outputs, right? So outputs, they do play a big role in helping you achieve the OKRs, mm -hmm. um, but a practice of key results ideally focus on outcomes. Now, mm -hmm. in there, I mean, there's a lot of talk about this, right, on, on the internet. There's tons of blog posts that have been, have been published by this, by us, by you, and also by other OKR consultants. But in, in what scenarios do you think it's okay to have an output-focused key result? Yeah, I think that's a great question because, uh, as you said, yeah, so many people come to OKRs from sort of traditional project management, and doing things is kind of the fundamental currency of, uh, of, of running a business, right? We tend to congratulate ourselves for being very busy or for getting lots of things done, uh, but sometimes we don't connect the activities we're doing with the outcomes that we want to achieve or the impact that we want to have. And so you're right, there is this mindset shift that needs to happen as we sort of move from outputs to outcomes. But that is a, a journey that takes a little while for people to go on. So I think uh, particularly, you know, when people are getting started with OKRs, uh, there's a danger as a coach, too, that you can be too dogmatic, I think. And you can come in and say, no, your key results should never have anything that that even smells yeah. remotely like a tactic or a task. Uh, it needs to be purely outcome focused. It has to have a number in there and a target. Uh, you know, I think Marissa Mera famously said that it's not a key result unless it has a number in there. And I think that's really good advice, actually. I think I, I, I tend to agree with that. But when you're just getting started, especially if people already have in-flight initiatives and they're not entirely sure why they're doing it, there are a variety of ways to kind of get to the bottom of that, of asking people, all right, why are we doing this initiative? You know, why are we uh, overhauling our benefits package? Is it because we want to be more attractive as an employer? Or, um, you know, why are we trying to hire more people into our customer service roles? Is it because we want to reduce the, the call waiting time in a call center, for example? Um, so you can ask those kind of why questions, but inevitably there are certain things that feel a bit like milestones uh, that people want to use as key results. And you do have to be careful because if you just take a traditional project plan and, and you turn all your milestones into key results or you call them key results, uh, that's just project management by another name, right? So no. you still need to focus people on those outcomes, but I try to be a little bit, um, a little bit accommodating just to kind of say, all right, uh, you know, yes, there are, there are outputs here that are maybe finding their way into the key results, but if we can be mindful of that and know the difference, uh, then I think it's, it's not, such a bad thing and and it's a step along that path you know so people recognize yeah we know we just have to do this thing uh, i worked at a large uk media company where we were trying to migrate a platform into into the cloud uh, from a bare metal sort of um, infrastructure and it was very much a, a very tactical kind of project that we needed to do it was also quite a binary kind of uh, outcome that we were looking for we put it in as a key result anyway because we knew it needed that kind of attention and the transparency and we wanted to use the the framework of okrs as a way to have those conversations about confidence and, and where we were going with that 
but we also recognized at the time that it wasn't really an outcome. It wasn't really a, a measurable key result per se. It was more of a, a project that we knew intuitively we needed to do. So I think, um, yeah, it's kind of, you know, doing it mindfully, but, uh, and having a bit of flexibility there to say, yeah, we have some, some JFDI sort of items that we just need to put in there. Uh, we're going to call them key results, but be mindful that actually this is more of a project. It's more of a task. And then in future quarters, you can get a little bit more rigorous about that. And, and um, hopefully people within the teams will start challenging that as well. And they'll say, hey, wait a minute, that's, that's more of a project. Um, I often, yeah. I always say as well, you know, OKRs don't get you away from having to execute, right? <laughs> you still have to execute beautifully because as you say, that's how we enable those key results. Um, but helping people to develop more sensibility uh, and more sensitivity to what is a key result and, and what is the activity that's meant to, to deliver that key result is, a, is an important conversation. That, that is actually where the name Purdue comes from, which is a question that we get asked a lot, especially when hiring new people. <laughs> so Tell the me. idea originally was that uh, par as, as Latin for buy mm -hmm. uh, and do with double O is a funny spelling of do. Uh, we wanted to, because OKR is focused so much on outcomes, we wanted to reflect that it's still by doing certain things that you get to where you want to be as, as an organization. Absolutely. Uh, as a little side note there. That's great. I love that. Yeah. And yeah, you don't get away from, you still have to, to manage projects, do the work. You still need all the planning, yeah. all of that stuff. I, I tell people, you know, that doesn't go away. But what we have now is a new sort of lens to put on top of all of that. So we have a, a different uh, lens to have deeper conversations, more meaningful conversations, I think, about why we're doing those things and how we'll know if they're successful. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like the, um, I, I think I, I also think it goes beyond the OKR framework, the value of educating people on the difference between outputs versus outcomes and mm -hmm. asking yourself the question, like, why are we doing this? Like, is this a means to an end or is this an end in itself? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that in itself is whether you work with OKRs and all this is a very valuable exercise. Yeah, and what we always also try to tell people is that in the end, what's most important is that you put in your key results, what you believe are important things that need to be achieved or either need to be completed, if you will, uh, in order to reach mm -hmm. your objective. So if you look at your key results and you've achieved all your key results, can you then confidently say that you've achieved the objective? And that's, of course, personal mm -hmm. judgment. But if the answer is that to, to that is yes, I can't argue whether that should be or uh, <laughs> is an, an outcome or an output. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point too. Is that this allows you to have those conversations about? Well, you know, we're really busy. We're really good at execution, but actually, it wasn't the right stuff. <laughs> you know, we we may have achieved all of those um, those activities, but we didn't move the needle on any of the key results. Uh, yeah. Or you take it up a level again and say we we may have delivered all these key results, but we don't really feel like we've we've achieved the objective. Uh, and so now you can have yeah, kind of deeper, more nuanced conversations that that relate more of the. Um, they start to close the loop between how you spend your time and and what this grand vision is that you're trying to achieve. Uh, and, and they teach you a lot about the operating context that you're working in and, um, and and how you kind of make those those baby steps from where you are to where you want to get to. Yeah. And that brings us back also to what you said at the start, that OKR is kind of like a framework that is facilitating having these discussions mm -hmm. in your team, in your in your organization. Absolutely. Yeah. Going to the next point that we identified, annual yeah. and quarterly OKRs or having an annual and quarterly cadence for your OKRs. Mm -hmm. I think this is another best practice that, that you see a lot uh, when it comes uh, to OKR. Um, is that OKRs set company goals, set annual goals at the company level, and they set quarterly goals at the department and team level. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have organizations that 
uh, sometimes say uh, we don't do OKRs because we we don't set quarterly goals. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, right. In which cases do you think it's okay to not have? I mean, the annual and quarterly cadence. If we look at our customer base, I think that's a combination that that works for an, like ninety. 94% of our customers. And then of course you have like annual shareholder reports and you have quarterly updates for stock listed companies, et cetera. So I think that annual, that annual quarterly cadence is sort of like built in into other parts of, of the business world as well, of course. But looking mm -hmm. at OKR then, in what cases do you think it's okay for organizations to not work with that default cadence or that default combination? Yeah, I think that's, that's... yeah go ahead. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think uh, quarterly OKRs are, are really nice. Um, they were a nice discovery for me when I when I came across OKRs uh, many years ago now. But um, because it was it fit nicely in between the sort of longer time horizon of annual planning, but uh, and the very short horizon of things like uh, fortnightly sprints. You know, I was working with a lot of teams at the time. Uh, when I first started using OKRs, it was when I was with the, um, the UK's government digital service. And we had a lot of agile teams that were working really well in, in two-week sprints. And we had sort of annual plans and five-year plans and things, but there wasn't really anything that fit nicely in between. And uh, so having quarterly OKRs is a nice, um, you know, it's long enough that you can do some chunky, interesting work, but it's also short enough that if you don't get them quite right, you get four chances a year to kind of course correct. Um, I guess my, my advice usually is that you have to look at the cadence of how things work in your business, right? Because certain businesses work very slowly and, and um, you know, they, they, they don't change so quickly. They can get away with maybe annual or, or multi-year OKRs even, uh, or, or maybe they get down to sort of every six months they're, they're modifying things. Uh, other businesses, are, businesses or organizations are changing so quickly that quarterly OKRs are too slow. Um, there are, I know a couple of, of organizations that are using seven-week OKR cycles. Um, so I think it, it also depends on kind of where you're deploying them at different levels in the organization, as you talked about. You know, I think at a company level, it's good to have um, often annual OKRs, but maybe multi-year, more long-ranging strategic kind of OKRs. Um, and as you get down into the organization, there will be layers of management as well that might have both. Uh, and, and this is something I try to leave enough flexibility when we are uh, writing OKRs, when we're in a workshop scenario to kind of see what emerges, because there will be some things that are a bit more tactical, a bit more linked to activities that we're doing today that we hope will have measurable, uh, measurable um, impacts within the next 90 days. And, and those are good candidates for quarterly OKRs. And then there might be things which are longer, slower, more transformational pieces or, or have kind of um, uh, uh, bigger, um, yeah, just, just necessarily longer time horizons and more complexity to them, more dependencies. I'm working with a, a large bank uh, in Italy that's going through a large transformation. And, and um, you know, they're looking at, at 12 months, 24 months. Uh, they're, they're using OKR to think about from now until 2025. And I, I have to admit, I think I've worked with, um, uh, I was doing some work with Doctors Without Borders a few years ago, and they were using them for a four-year plan as well, which I think is... It's, it's a useful, again, it's a useful framework for having those conversations. Uh, I think getting into extreme kind of multi-year planning with OKRs, it, it's, it, it gets harder and harder to connect the, the big strategic uh, ambitions with your day-to-day -day kind of work, I guess. Um, and it, it kind yeah. of comes back to how often teams are doing check-ins as well, right? Because we want to, to do the check-ins at the right cadence. So as things are changing, as you have the ability to course correct and, and change things, you want to, to be checking in on your current OKRs or maybe resetting new OKRs altogether. 
So I think, um, yeah, you have to kind of step back and look at the process and look at how how your organization works and then kind of match um, OKR cadences to those natural sort of uh, planning and execution cycles within your business. Yeah, or that's, that's a great piece of advice. And and, and to add to that, um, like looking at the long, the shorter uh, cadences, uh, so, yeah. so making it shorter than quarterly. Uh, I mean, at Purdue, we, we've tested everything because we wanted, also wanted to have the donor experience in order to uh, create content, of course, and advise our customers better. Um, mm. We've tested monthly OKRs, we've tested six weeks OKRs, but uh, from our experience, I mean, setting OKRs is hard, right? Like identifying the right OKRs to work on. It requires you to have discussions. And we really felt that with monthly and six weeks OKRs, we almost spent more time setting OKRs and closing them, reviewing them, than that we were able to actually actually work on them. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, I think, another thing to keep in mind is, is if you get shorter than quarterly OKRs, like what's the administrative overhead that this will cause that's for your right. organization? Yeah, and I know some, some organizations that, that want to start with longer cadences just because, yeah, they feel like they need a little bit more hand-holding, a bit more time to, to run through the admin side of things. And then as they get faster and faster, they can, they can trim that down a little yeah. bit. And at some point, you're moving away from OKRs and you're moving more into things like sprint goals or, or even down into things like user stories with acceptance criteria that are expressed more in terms of um, uh, outcomes rather than you know, specific activity, yeah. which is good too. So there's kind of a whole continuum from you know, uh, individual tasks all the way out to, to multi-year plans that use the same sort of thinking. It's just, yeah, it, when we talk about OKRs, I do think that the, the quarterly and annual cadence is good. Hey, a point related to this um, is, hmm. is uh, changing OKRs mid-quarter, uh, which um, right. is something that we get asked every now and then by, by, by organizations. So, so typically, you set OKRs at the, at the beginning of the quarter, then you have like a quarter hmm. to work on. Uh, I mean, you may work on some OKRs in the beginning of the quarter, work on other ones towards the end of the quarter. That, that's all possible, of course. But yeah. like, what should you do? Right when you realize an, an, an OKR is is, uh, is is not relevant anymore, right? Or what do you do if, oh, if you yeah. see the OKR is, is like you'll never be able to achieve it? Like, are you allowed to change them? Are you allowed to stop them? Like, the question itself, like, like well, this is how what, what how do you... we get are we are being asked the question, right? Like, is it allowed? <laughs> Which is of course <laughs> our own. like what what's your advice here? Like, should you be doing this, or how should you deal with circumstances like that? Well, uh, I'm, I'm sure you've run into OKRs that are less than perfect. Uh, how, how have you responded uh, when that happens? Do you? Uh... We, we change them, yeah, but without a doubt. <laughs> We've set OKRs that uh, we felt weren't a strategic fit for us. Yeah. So we could, we then altered the scope because after giving it a, a, a big push in, in one or two weeks, we realized that this is probably not something that's right for our organization, something that we're able to achieve. Um, yeah. And then we changed it, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I mean, I think if, if you're, you know, strapped into a car that you realize is going off a cliff, uh, you know, you're not going to tighten your seatbelt, you're going to get out of the car. Uh, and, and I think that <laughs> in organizations, you know, if, um, especially when you're starting out with OKRs, it's hard, right? And it takes several quarters for this to, to bed in and, and become more, um, more, more useful, really. Uh, the first couple of quarters will feel a bit awkward uh, and, and they may feel like more work than, 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 um, than benefit. And, so, so inevitably, teams, 
you know, they, they set some, they spend a lot of time setting OKRs and then they actually start trying to check in on them and review them in the quarter. And, and that's where things get really real, I find too. Um, you know, I, I really like to encourage teams I work with to, to start checking in almost immediately and then using those check-ins as a way to improve the OKRs. So um, I think the worst thing you can do in a team is when you realize that the OKR, you know, if it feels like a distraction, if it feels like it's confusing, if it feels like it's not driving productive conversations about what you're doing, then I think you have a you have a clear obligation to change it, right? The worst thing you can do is to stay kind of tied to that OKR uh, through the bitter end yeah. while, you, while the rest of your, your your essential work in business is sort of like flying past you or, or getting ignored. Um, and so I think it's, it is really important to change them when, when the time, uh, when, when necessary. Now, you know, do it mindfully and do it transparently is what I always say. So, you know, mindfully in the sense that you need to figure out, are we, are we changing this because it's, it's, uh, is, is the objective wrong? Is the key result not quite right? Is it the target that we don't like? Is it the, the specific wording? You know, the language really does matter with OKRs. That's part of its power too. Um, so, so tweaking the language might be a thing, maybe tweaking the, the target or it's the entire OKR and all of the key results. Um, but I think it's important to see why we want to change that. You know, it, some people say, oh, well, you're moving the goalposts. And um, maybe you are. You know, it might be that the original target was so unachievable that it's just demoralizing to even think about this key result, in which case maybe you just scrap it all together or you say, all right, let's let's put the bar somewhere that's a little bit more inspiring to us, a bit more achievable. Or the inverse can happen as well. It might be so easy that you sort of, uh, you know, trip over it and, and deliver that OKR in the first five minutes of the quarter and you realize, whoops, you know, do we do we raise the bar on it or or has this taught us that there's actually a deeper goal that we need to pursue. And that's the thing that needs to have our focus. So I, I always say that the, the OKR conversations in the quarter should be the, the most valuable, exciting conversations that you're having. And you should look forward to having those check-ins every week or, or as often as you do it. And if you're not looking forward to that, if it feels like a sort of bit of busy work that the boss is making you do or something, you know, that's, that's terrible. So, you know, the, the OKRs, I often say, as a team, you want your OKRs to really work hard for you. And if they're not doing that, then they need to be they need to be revised and, and changed. Um, and the transparency side of what I mentioned is that, yeah, whenever you make a change to your OKRs, if you have a, uh, you know, whatever context you use for internal communication, whether you have an OKRs Slack channel or a team Slack or, or, or any other messaging platform that you use, um, you know, make that announcement on there and say, hey, guess what? Uh, these were our OKRs last week. We had this conversation. We realized we needed to adjust them in this way. This is what they look like now. These are the reasons. Come and talk to us. Um, because uh, as well, you know, your OKRs, there are people who are dependent on you delivering that, right? And, and who have made their own goals, their own OKRs based on uh, what they think you'll be able to achieve. And so if there's a, a major shift there, there might be some strategic um, changes that need to be made and communicated as well. Um, so I think as ever, yeah, it's it's a framework for having those difficult conversations, and and sometimes we we realize things, and and uh, we have to kind of inspect and adapt. Yeah. And, and if you do discontinue an OKR entirely, I would also not delete it. I would keep it for historical yes. uh, purposes <laughs> and just close it, get it out of your way. Exactly. Uh, and I I really like making that announcement, make it clear to everyone that you do make changes. Yeah. And what I also really liked is is that you specified right. It's, there's lots of things that can change around an OKR. Like, mm. are, the, are the key results wrong? Is, is one key result not relevant anymore? Should you change the key result target? Is it the objective? Should it increase in scope, reduce in scope, change? There's many different things that, that yeah. you can change. And as you said, that you should change the moment you realize that this is just Absolutely. not 
headed in the right direction anymore. Yeah, and sometimes uh, a common, uh, just to add a, a common scenario that I'm sure we've all seen is, is when we first, everyone starts out working with OKRs and, and it looks a lot like a project plan and it also, you, you know, you have 500 OKRs, right? Because uh, we think, oh, we're really busy, we're doing lots of stuff and everything should be a key result. Uh, but as we start going through the process of checking in, we realize, wow, this is actually a lot of work and I don't really want to use this as project management. I have other ways to do that. Uh, and so sometimes the OKRs change through aggregation and consolidation as well. So you might think that you need six OKRs and discover that actually several of those key results can be kind of consolidated under one other kind of leading indicator that covers all of those things. Or indeed, entire OKRs can kind of get swallowed up into something that's much more poignant, more relevant and, and more exciting for us to talk about. So I, I look for that as well. Yeah, yeah. Moving on to the next point, uh, Peter, uh, progress yeah. and uh, how you should calculate progress for, for, for mm. an objective. So I think the framework is called objectives and key results, right? So uh, it isn't an OKR if the objective doesn't have any key results. So I think by definition, almost uh, progress for the objective is always based on the key results that you set for the objective. However, um, every now and then we, we run into situations with customers where they have, and this happens typically when you set OKRs at different levels. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, when you set it at the company level and at the team level, where at the company level, these objectives could sometimes play like a slightly different role, like the more directional setting, setting like a, a few big themes for the year, for example. And then they don't always feel that it's necessary or, or meaningful to create mm -hmm. key results for those type of objectives. Like, is that is that okay? I mean, the the way we've solved it is is that you can choose uh, in Purdue that for each objective whether progress should be based on its key results or whether it should be based on the other OKRs that are aligned to it. Is that the right approach? Like, how should you deal with a situation like that where you feel where you feel it it, it isn't helpful to create key results for an objective? Yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting um, point, and and it also kind of comes back to. Um, what you mean by progress on an, on an objective and and how we're tracking progress at the objective level. Uh, for me, I, I tend to base a lot of my progress conversations really around confidence. And, and I like to do that at the key result level because I think that tells a really interesting, really rich story. And it's interesting because, yeah, sometimes people pick very measurable objectives. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen people put revenue goals in as, as an objective. And that's you know, on the one hand, it's great that it's nice and measurable, and then you can use the key results to figure out how you would try to get to that um, that objective. But I tend to maybe a bit controversially sometimes use the approach of of keeping the objective more as a kind of big bold statement, yeah. like you know, we we uh, our organization runs like a Swiss watch or something, and then figuring out the the as measured by is the the key results. So in that yeah. sense, yeah, we're using those key results to measure the the degree to which we have achieved the the objective. Um, but sometimes we get it wrong as well, like we. we we spoke about earlier that we might do all those, we might um, reach all of those key results, but still not feel like we've actually achieved the the objective. And that can be really useful data because then we realize, okay, um, so we were good at, at moving the needle on these key results, but actually sort of emotionally, we don't feel like, uh, intuitively, we don't feel like this has actually delivered the uh, the objective. And so then you have an opportunity to say, all right, do we keep the objective and, and put some different metrics, some different key results in there? Or do we need to reshape that objective according to the impact that we are able to have and, and the kind of realistic um, work that we're doing a little bit further down there? So I think it's... Um, it's tricky, yeah. I, I tend to encourage folks to to use the confidence of those key results as a way to kind of measure the progress. Um, but 
you can also decouple them so that you have have a, a progress, a, a more intuitive based progress measurement on the objective as well as the key results. And then you can see if they don't line up. Um, so you might say, yeah, we feel like we're about 20% of the way to this big objective goal, but we're actually 80% of the way uh, if you just sort of averaged out the key results. Um, I think it was actually Rick Clow in, in his very early, you know, infamous talk about OKRs um, at Google or, or actually at Blogger, where he talked about some folks going in and putting in weighting and 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 trying to, to get really cute with uh, all the formulas and how they measure progress. Um, and and I think I think he said this, I think I agree that that it's, you know, that's kind of overkill for me. I think it's it's much more about being able to quickly look at the objective and say, all right, broadly, are we getting there or not? And then most importantly, why? You know, why do we feel like we're getting there? Uh, why are we not getting there? What do we need to do next? So it's that kind of what, so what, now what cycle of um, uh, of review rather than just sort of saying, oh, well, you know, these, these um, I've seen other organizations say, well, we're going to link this JIRA ticket up to this EPIC to, that links to this key result, which links to this objective so that as soon as I close this thing on JIRA, then it's going to automatically update my progress on the, on the uh, objective. Um, I think the danger there is that then you, you get too coupled to tying your key results directly to activity. Uh, and I think it's actually really beneficial to say, well, we're doing all this stuff and we hope that it will have this kind of impact but it might not, you know, and, um, and, and if we're wrong, then, um, then we want to learn from that. So we want to, um, yeah, that, experiment yeah. there. that's what I like about decoupling outputs and outcomes, right. Or key results and, uh, and, and initiatives and seeing that once we do deliver all this work, whether that does actually move the needle for our key results. When you, when you spoke about, uh, Rick Cloud, did you meant the scoring that he referenced in, uh, in one of his videos? Yeah, I, I think, think it was the scoring. Yeah, I think they, they used scoring to track progress, right? I, I think he uses one of these examples that if you want to sell 10 books, you sold seven, you scored a seven out of 10, which would easily equate to 70% progress on, on, on that key result, which yes. I think also added to the confusion. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I, think, I think there are two other big topics to, uh, to still discuss. Yeah. Uh, one is stretch OKRs and the other one is private OKRs. Let's let's start with stretch OKRs mm. first because uh, this yeah. is this is a, I think I think in the early days this is what if, if an organization decided against OKR this is what we heard most and then they said we don't do OKRs because uh, our organization isn't really that ambitious like and stretch OKRs just don't feel right for us and then I said like but wait a minute I mean stretch OKRs just like one thing in OKRs and whether you do that or not, I think that that doesn't say much whether you do OKRs or not, right? Like, how do you look at that? When, yeah. how, how do you look at stretch OKRs? Is that is that really a key part of the OKR framework? Should organizations all adopt that when adopting OKR? That's a really interesting question. I mean, I think that if you're following a formula, right? You know, if, if, I'm, a, if I'm a cook in a restaurant, uh, you're not going to be expecting me to innovate a lot. You're going to be expecting me to, to, to follow the recipe and, and cook the food and get it out, you know, on time and, and at a high quality. Um, you can do that without OKRs. You can do that without any level of innovation just by following the recipe and, and repeating what works. Um, the problem is that the world is constantly changing and everything everywhere is, is changing, whether we like it or not. Um, I'm sort of paraphrasing um, W. Edwards Deming. I, th I think he said something, something along the lines of, uh, "You don't have to change. You know, survival is optional." Uh, to, to sort of say, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, not every organization has to survive, um, but but I think that you know, if if an organization is coming saying, "Yeah, we're really not that ambitious," um, <laughs> you know, it can say, "All right, that's that's fine." Um, 
but but really, you know, even just to survive, you may need OKRs or, or you need to be innovating and, and, um, and, and responding to change. And I think that's where OKRs are really powerful. You know, if you're following a recipe, if you're kind of turning the crank and trying to get the same results over and over, um, great. You know, that, there's a place for that. Uh, having, having kind of smooth, repeatable processes that you can do over and over again um, without needing to, to change is in, in a way that's kind of the foundation of, of running a good business, but you can't just rest on your laurels there. You have to also at the same time be continuously innovating. So it's kind of finding that balance of what's the stuff that we just have to keep doing the way we've always done it, the kind of business as usual, and where do we have that latitude, that, that sort of innovation budget, if you like, to start doing things uh, in a new, different way. And every team has a little bit of innovation budget, I think. Even if you feel like your job is just to follow a script, um, there will be areas where you can challenge that a little bit and push back and say, well, what if I spent 10% of my time, you know, sharpening the ax or, or trying to get better at, at whatever it is that we do. And, and so I think, yeah, the, the different kinds of OKRs are interesting. Um, I know in the, in the world of what matters, they talk about, uh, from measure what matters, they talk about committed versus aspirational versus learning OKRs. Uh, and the idea there is that a committed OKR is sort of the JFDI OKR that you just have to do, right? You, you have to hit this number to keep the lights on, like uh, like sales quotas and things like that. Um, and then, and then the aspirational ones are, are the OKRs where we can set a bit more stretch in there and say, wouldn't it be great if we if we got to even seventy percent of this number, you know? Uh, and then finally, the learning OKRs are those things that are maybe not directly related to um, the the kind of upper level strategy of the organization, but they teach us really useful things that we can apply further down uh, or further along in the in the journey. So I think those can be useful sort of labels. Um, I find committed versus aspirational is actually kind of confusing in the real world when I've when I've used it with with actual teams, because there's this notion of well, okay, is is an aspirational you know if a, is a committed OKR the same as an aspirational one but with a lower lower target, and and if I raise my my uh, target on a committed OKR, does it then become aspirational? So I think it's much more important to have an, a conversation as an organization to kind of figure out. You might still kind of label things as being committed or aspirational, just to be very clear. Like this OKR is a is a must do, um, but when it comes to the degree of stretch, that's more of a cultural thing within the organization. You know, there are some places where, um, you know, I think I think at Google they tend to, to aim for sort of seventy to eighty percent is is considered pretty good. Exactly. Uh, but there are other organizations I've worked with where we feel like, oh gosh, you know, uh, we've got nervous investors, and and uh, for us, we really need to be kind of in that ninety to one hundred percent range. And uh, whenever, whenever an organization tells me that failure is not an option, I, I like to tell them that innovation then is no longer an option either, because you have to be willing to fail to innovate. But I'm also a realist, and I know that if, if their tolerance for risk, if their risk tolerance is, is low, then okay, we need to scale things back a little bit. And, and uh, we can still call them a bit aspirational, but they're, um, you know, we, we hope that we can hit more of that 90 to 100% range. So it's something you can kind of tune as an organization, I think, based on your, your level of risk tolerance. Yeah, I, I think I agree. But when, when these organizations say, like, we're not that ambitious, I, I don't think they mean that they're not actually ambitious. But right. if you if you say, okay, we need to get to 100% for this OKR, uh, and if another organization is saying, well, 70% is already a good outcome, that could actually reflect the exact same result, right? I, it's mm -hmm. just that mm -hmm. some people are, and some organizations just don't have that culture where it feels satisfying that 70% was already a good result and now we're going to push and try to get to, to 100%. Exactly. What we hear in Germany a lot, for example, is like, no, that, that's not us. Like, we need to get to 100% <laughs> yeah. and then we're going to try to overachieve. 
Right. And that's Whereas, that's all right. Yeah. yeah. Referring to measurable matters, I think a lot of the committed OKRs that 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 the, the examples that I've seen in there are better tracked as KPIs anyway. I mean, you were yeah. tracking sales quota prior to doing OKRs as a KPI. Like now that you're doing OKRs, there's no need to to mold that into an OKR every quarter. You'll have the Correct. same objective and the same key results every 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 quarter. Yeah, yeah. And and this is where a KPI can be a useful tool as well in health metrics because not everything needs to be an OKR. There are some numbers that we just need to keep an eye on to to make sure that they stay above or below some certain threshold. And um, yeah. you know, I think that's that's something that I learned from Christina Waki about sort of uh, yes, you can have your your OKRs over here, but then you might also have your your KPIs that are sort of even as we're shooting for the moon here with our OKRs, we're we're maintaining the health of our organization of our people by measuring exactly. those KPIs yeah. regularly. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, last thing that we wanted to discuss uh, today, Peter, private OKRs. So I think uh, going back to like the the few resources that made OKRs very popular, uh, Measure Up Matters, that famous uh, YouTube video from Google Ventures. Yeah. Uh, transparency was already always featuring in in there as being very important within OKRs, right? Indeed. So I think I think we can all agree that, that transparency is indeed important and it is a big component uh, of the OKR framework and that by default, all your OKRs should indeed be transparent. But are there circumstances where it is okay to deviate from that? Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, absolutely one of the one of the big benefits of OKRs is how they create that culture of transparency within the organization. They really, uh, they both require, but also encourage a, a high degree of psychological safety in the organization of, of trying things out, of being wrong, making mistakes, learning continuously, and then sharing that along the way. Um, but inevitably, yeah, there are aspects of organizations where there are certain bits of information that are sensitive and, and um, you want to protect, uh, you know, legal teams sometimes are looking at potential acquisitions or, or potential legal action that's being, that's, that's happening. Uh, HR sometimes falls into that or finance um, or, or even, you know, R&D in, in certain very sensitive uh, areas of, of um uh, you know, like like uh, certain hardware hardware manufacturers and places like Cupertino that maybe can't you know share everything with everybody, um, and in those cases, yeah, you you may want to still use OKRs within that kind of walled garden, um, but you don't want to to share them everywhere. So I think you have to make a call, right? Uh, you have to figure out. Are, are there certain things that feel sensitive that, that we don't want to share with a wider audience? If so, uh, you know, what are they and, and why, are, why are they sensitive? Why do we need to share those? Is, is there the potential to, um, uh, to, to cause someone harm or, or to confuse things or to jeopardize, um, you know, something, uh, put us at a competitive disadvantage? Um, and, and sometimes, yeah, there are things around yeah, profitability, headcount, uh, uh, acquisitions, legal action, all the things I just mentioned. So there are a couple of approaches. Either you sort of uh, sanitize the OKRs, um, which I think is actually not the right approach, because in, by sanitizing them, what it usually means is you sort of shave off all the sharp edges and, and, and you take out all the, the clear, specific language that is what makes OKRs so useful. So I would say keep them as, as strong, sharp, clear, good OKRs. Um, but do keep them, you know, private to a specific context that's going to actually use them until they can be shared more widely. Uh, when you do that, just be aware that it means that other folks in the org aren't going to be able to help you as much because they're not going to know what your OKRs are. They're not going to know what your definition of success is. And so it might create yeah. some funny dynamics where you feel like you're kind of 
trying to ask someone else in the organization to help you with this without actually telling them why you need that help or what you need them to do. And when that starts to happen, then then I think that's a, an indicator that maybe it's time to bring them into the fold and bring them into that conversation. Um, and it may be that there are OKRs which need to be sensitive for a, peri a period of time, and then later they can be made more public within the organization as, as things progress. Um, so I would say, yeah, it's it's something to use very sparingly. Um, it's, it can be a useful tool if, if there are aspects of the organization that need that. Um, but make sure again, like changing your OKRs, make sure that you 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 do that mindfully, um, and and you may even uh, allow some transparency around what you're not telling people. <laughs> you know, you might say, yeah, we have some OKRs in this area that we can't be more explicit about because of these reasons, and and that can be a method to sort of say, all right, you know, we know this group is kind of working on something here, uh, and we know that that this is as much detail as we're going to get for these reasons, and we're all sort of, um, you know, it's, it's a way of, of allowing some information so people can make smart decisions, but, but keeping other things a bit sensitive. Um, and again, you can use that relationship between OKRs and KPIs. So the health metrics might be things that are, are a bit more sensitive, um, especially things around the uh, sales quotas and that sort of thing, if, if that's necessary. Although in my experience, sales quotas usually are, are very public. Um, <laughs> the, um, yes, yeah, uh, those are things you need, need everybody to know about, but then, then the OKRs then, um, yeah, can, can be more you know, traditional. And then, I mean, with things like sales quarter, like even if, if you're not comfortable sharing that with, with everyone in the organization, I'm, then I think what you're usually not comfortable with sharing is, is the absolute number, right? But you could also track the, uh, the relative number. So yeah. a percentage achievement of your sales quota would then be another way of, of still sharing it with everyone without having to share as numbers that for whatever reason are too sensitive to share. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. You can use relative metrics and, and you can also think about um, leading versus lagging indicators as well. So, you know, if if there's uh, some number that needs to be uh, kept sensitive uh, around, you know, uh, maintaining a headcount or something or, or, or cutting costs, maybe there's there's a different leading indicator in terms of um, you know complying with with uh, hiring plans or or some other kinds of indicators that um, that tell us we're moving in the right direction, um, you know to to meet this this more confidential uh, KPI or yeah. cool. I think that was all, Peter. I think we've covered most of the uh, the, the best practices that we wanted to cover today. So um, from my side, I want to thank you again for your time and for joining us on this episode of Gold Diggers again. I'm sure we can come up with other topics to talk about in the future. So we'll be very happy to welcome you again. All right. Thanks a lot, Henrik. It's been a pleasure as always. Thanks for tuning in. Are you keen on learning more about strategy, goals, and growth? Then head over to our resources hub for a ton of insightful content at purdue.com forward slash resources.